Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a look. This week's episode stars head women's volleyball coach at Fresno State University, Jonathan Winder. We cover a lot in this podcast, especially about his evolution from becoming an assistant to a head coach. But the main topic that we cover is self-belief and self-confidence, which are questions that a lot of coaches and a lot of ex-players had for Winder because he has such a great belief system. So if you have any curiosity about that, where it stems from, or how you feel you could develop yours better, I strongly suggest listening to this podcast. Matt West. Winder. What a crew here. God, still got a radiant smile. How are you guys doing? You just waking up, Matt? Never. <laughs> waking up, drinking some coffee. That's right. I'm oh, a coffee man. guy now. Where are you living right now, Matt? I'm in Seattle with my parents right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell them I say hi. Will do. You're missing I'll get to see him. It's beautiful in Ravenna right now. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's like uh, this whole week's supposed to be 70 and sunny. Oh, it's perfect in Seattle. It's more than magical. Like, I thought they were in Shoreline. They are, but every day I have a uh, have PT down in Green Lake, so I drive through Ravenna down to U Village. I'm like, yeah. ah, this was Winter's old stomping grounds. That was my place. That's where we live, man. It was a great place to live. Beautiful, really nice place. Really, really expensive. Yeah. We had to move. I believe. Well, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. What do we do? <laughs> we we talk. We figure out the magical the magical words of wisdom from you. No, essentially the concept is we want to use volleyball as a channel. And through that channel, we want you to tell who you are through your experiences as a volleyball athlete and coach, right? So why are you you? And how did volleyball shape and manifest the characteristics that you have now? Right. So that's okay. Sounds so deep. It gets there. <laughs> but so then the first question is always how and why volleyball? Where did it start? Uh, I went to a, um, so let's see. I went to a private Christian school growing up called Mariners uh, out in Orange County area, Costa Mesa. And uh, they had all sports. And so everybody played everything. So I played football for a little bit and I played uh, basketball and then volleyball was one of the other sports. And my brother had played uh, volleyball there as well. And then he was playing in high school, went to Woodbridge High School in Irvine. And um uh, yeah, so everybody played volleyball. I also played football. I wasn't very good at football, though. <laughs> and I got okay at, at volleyball. You know, every six rotations, you just kind of go around, right? And um, But what's funny, I think from that team at Mariners, there was probably three or four Division One volleyball players that ended up that were on that team. So we were decent. And uh, <laughs> uh, 
Jamie Diefenbach was a guy who played on UCLA. Adam Schlesinger was a guy who played on uh, Long Beach State. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, so we, I, I started playing there and it was fun and good. And then um, I didn't start playing club at uh, Balboa Bay Volleyball Club until I was 15. And so 15s was the first like serious team I was on and like with positions, right? Mariners, we didn't have positions. So you just play the game. Right. And uh, that's the way I would hope it is. Uh, that's the way it, it not. It is not, especially in girls volleyball, where there's this like heavy sports specialization. And so I just played the game and I played beach at Huntington Beach and uh, played at um, Balboa. And I hit a little bit, set a little bit and eventually kind of like was more of a setter. So my 16s year, I started to set full time and uh, we had a great coach there named Rich Polk. And he's still the 16s coach there. He's probably coached, I don't know, five to 10 Olympians coming through his program. Like phenomenal, phenomenal program, Balboa Bay. Yeah. Travis Turner is the director there for a really long time. Charlie Brand um, owns the club there, old UCI coach. And I mean, they, I don't know, they probably have had at least a dozen Olympians that have played for that club alone. And um, when I was on the national team, Kevin Hansen was one of the setters and Brian Thornton was one of the other setters. And so we had three setters and we were all one year apart um, and in, in the Balboa Bay like system. So Kevin was like the 18 setter, Brian was 17s and I was 16s or something like that. And so setter, setters were okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yeah, so I started playing there and it was fun and good and, um, and did, did well. And, and then I also played basketball and and then when I kind of got into the recruiting process, uh, Marv at Pepperdine and Rick McLaughlin was the assistant coach at Pepperdine at the time, uh, came and watched me play. And um, I really enjoyed the school there and just uh, valued volleyball a little bit more. Maybe thought my future was a little bit brighter in uh, volleyball versus in basketball. And so I, I kind of had a few opportunities to do basketball, but chose to do volleyball instead. And um yeah. So that's where I started playing the game. And uh, again, not so specific with uh, setting. It was always kind of everything. I remember that one of the, in the fall at Pepperdine, you start and you kind of just, Mark always just plays volleyball, right? You play a lot of deep court. And, and then I remember at some point in time, he had me play outside hitter first semester, my freshman year. And then I never played outside hitter again <laughs> for the rest of my career. So that was a, a clear sign that I didn't, I didn't have what it took as an outside at the collegiate level. And, uh, so then, you know, then I set and he moved John Mayer to outside hitter opposite and moved some other people around that were better than I was at spiking. Was it, uh, if I recall, I don't know if it was you, I can never tell because we were either all three of us together or I was in Marv's office or I was in your office, but I think it was Marv that told me because you've always been and I'm sure you still are hyper competitive and Marv was telling me that you were a pretty slender guy in high school and you were getting recruited by some some pretty big time schools for basketball Gonzaga and some guy tried to body you some big black guy tried to body you and you didn't let that fly you threw him into the mat and got into his face and Mark said he looked at Rick and said, that's our guy. <laughs> <Walked> <laughs> <out to him. laughs> 
I was like, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't even think I've heard that story, but I would think it's true. Uh, yeah. I don't like losing and I don't like, yeah, I, don't, I like to compete a little bit in uh, basketball, volleyball. For sure, basketball was always what I did growing up. Volleyball was this other thing. And uh, I probably have a little bit more of like a general athletic competitiveness in basketball competitiveness. And uh, then and the volleyball stuff kind of came later. You know, so often I think today it's about we do recruiting all the time. It's about this like specific skill set, you know, technical, how do you pass? But um, how you compete is, is really, really important. And uh, your mindset, the thoughts that go into the game, especially as you kind of keep moving forward. And I remember that was actually one of the things that always stood out to me was that Marv, I think, came and watched one or two of my basketball games before he watched me play volleyball was that Rick had seen me play volleyball and said, Hey, he's pretty good. And uh, I think Rick started watching me the first year I ever played. And, um, and then, uh, and then Marv eventually, you know, came and watched me play basketball and uh, thought I could, would be okay at volleyball. Sure. He came on and he said, cause I brought you up and I said, I think Winder's one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. And he said, hey, I'd rather tame a lion. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he said, he was like, that was the one thing that anytime you've come up on this podcast with Marv, I think Johnny Mayer said it too. They're like, maybe his volleyball skill wasn't refined when I first met him when he was a freshman, but he could compete. He had no problem leading a team and competing hard as a freshman, which is obviously a pretty tough thing to do it's pretty awesome that's some awesome praise well, i was like i believe it, I believe oh. it. <laughs> yeah i think uh it reminds me of just like for me growing up uh uh so one i, I come from a single mom background and uh so sports were like everything so all i did were, were sports and just always uh were driven to <clears throat> be the best that i could be and uh Balboa was very competitive, like, yeah. you know, and to, to play, like to make a team was really tough to make the top team really tough, you know, and then you have like a legacy in front of you also with people that are really good. And I think the, for the most part, I've always had that, you know, at Balboa was like that where people that had gone before me were way better than I ever thought I could be. And then getting to Pepperdine was a lot of the same thing, like a legacy, was really strong in front of you and so that there was like an instant drive to try to compete to have a shot you know to not mess it up in terms of the legacy that had already been lived ahead of time you know and i think it's really hard to like be that trailblazer to be that rod wild like that's really you got to be really competitive uh to be the first person to kind of you know break through that and to establish that that standard and that people would then you know continue to follow um but in at, at Pepperine, again, it was it wasn't very difficult to compete the way Marv structured the environment, the level of players that were around. Um, if you wanted to just, you know, survive in the gym in terms of like your ability level, uh, you had to play pretty hard. And um, yeah, I remember one of the things that always stood out to me was that there was a guy named Lee Katz who uh, was there and Lee was the statistician and the one of the world's experts in newts, I think, salamanders. Yeah, newts and salamanders. 
Yeah, fantastic guy. And um, he would be on the bench and I would talk with him. And um, I remember one time, uh, maybe my maybe my junior year, he just said like, hey, like, you know exactly what we need to do to win. Like, but sometimes you just choose to not do it. Why? And I was like, <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> but I always felt like I was in control of the game. I never felt like uh, I couldn't influence the game enough to win it. And that even if we were down, I knew that we were going to win in some amount of time. And it was an interesting observation uh, at that point in my career to have somebody that had watched a bunch of matches kind of make a point that like, maybe like he noticed that sometimes I didn't play as hard as maybe I could have or made the plays that I needed to, to win or to put myself or the team in a position to win quicker. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of an interesting observation that. Uh, going, back to to club days, going back to your club days what were some were there any differences that the way Balboa trained versus like other club gyms you've been in I yeah I don't I don't know I, I didn't play in any other club growing up um just just Balboa and we they played, played a lot. There was some technical instruction, you know, heavy with like uh, back row, deep court, everybody played every position, everybody was setting and doing short, short passing, deep passing, short serving. Like um, I remember we do like 30 minutes of setter work, you know, before practice, but that was really like the only setter training you'd ever get. Mm -hmm. And, and then you're just playing a lot. And so I don't know what other gyms do, especially in boys volleyball. I know girls volleyball is, is pretty different in terms of when I go around the country and uh, watch girls volleyball practices and uh, clubs today, it looks really different than what it was like when I played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what, what year did, in high school did you decide that you were going to PEP? Uh, I was a junior, I think, Okay. So, which was a little early at the time. I think I was one of the front end of uh, most of the kids in, at least in boys volleyball where you were your uh, senior year yeah did you because you're I'm trying to think of how to phrase this you told me a story once because you wanted me to dump more and you said when I played club all you did if guys weren't killing the ball you would just start dumping every ball and said do you guys feel like attacking I'll start setting but until you guys <laughs> I'll just keep dumping when has it always been the win is more important than how you win and how I'll go into it. We'll talk about that later in coaching, but for you as a player, has it always been more of like, we just have to win. I don't care how we do it, but the win is the most important thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially as a setter, like I don't think I ever thought about you know, my number of assists or team hitting percentage um, or I don't know, any type of statistical thing. Actually, the one thing maybe I, I did later on in my career and, and probably was a little bit aware of it in college was uh, just trying to be a part of the team in terms of scoring points as well. So either blocking wise, serving wise or attacking. I felt like as the setter, I didn't want to be just a zero out there in terms of uh, point scoring. And so I would usually try to get like a little tally in my head of about two points a, a set 
you know, either on a block or a kill or an ace, something like that. And also just help from a, I think like an aggressive mindset, you know, to, to stay aggressive in those areas and not just, you know, be out there setting the ball. And um, I think Harlan Cohen was, was about that a little bit. And I remember some of those conversations early on um, at Pepperdine was like setters, you got to set the ball for sure. That's the primary thing, but also can be really helpful if you can do some other stuff <laughs> yeah, and dig some balls maybe even, but yeah, so for sure the, the team goal was always way more important than the individual stuff. And, and yeah, I was competitive. And so I, I think every year, the second middle on my team never had more points than I did. And uh, um, I just wouldn't set them. And it was either <laughs> you're either good enough or you aren't. And I could hit better than you could. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take those points. And if you got a problem, I'll just say, be better. And if you're better, if you, I remember a lot of conversations, like <laughs> I'll set you, if you kill it, you know, I'll give you an opportunity and if you don't do it. Then they wouldn't see a set for a little while. Go block the ball. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like early on in your coaching career, how did that manifest into you talking to setters of like, Hey, you got to play to win, but you also, we also have to run an offense here at the same time. Uh, I don't know. You probably know it better than I do because I was starting coaching, you know, you probably. That was I the first. I said, maybe I was. <laughs> you know, and uh, it, I would say it evolved a lot more when I got to Washington and coached there where um, a little bit more uh, systematic with things. And um, I think the boys game versus the girls, the guys game versus girls game can be a little different with that. Maybe it's starting to get closer, but, um, you know, at the, at that point in time, uh, I think with, with you, I just remember talking mostly about just trying to win and for sure that type of team was really different too. Like, uh, you had Josh Taylor, you had a couple kids that could spike the ball quite a bit better than some of the other kids. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's not an offense to them, but it's kind of like, Hey, don't mess it up. And if I give you the ball, do something productive with it, because I'm going to need to set this person a bunch of balls. And they're the ones that are going to win us the match at the end. And so uh, I think that was something I've always kept in mind is like, who's going to win the game for us. And, and even as like now designing teams, it's like, you know, how do you get your team good enough to win the matches that are really important to like do what you want to do. And uh, so certainly that's a big, was always a big part of the coaching early on was like, yeah, it's great. We want to have even balance. Like that's so idealistic, like this 33% of the time and 30% over here. And, you know, I understand all these metrics and we do them and talk about them all the time, but there's also this pragmatic approach that like this person's bad and this person's really good. And so let's try to figure out ways to get this person more balls and not give too much credit to the defense, like make them stop them. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I can run a middle around and clap my, if I clap my hands or scream at somebody, that would be a tactic I would do is just start yelling at somebody else. Like Jackson, I'm going to set you the ball. Jackson, are you ready? Jackson, are you ready? Jackson. And then just set it to Matt, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then the blockers on the other side are going out to block Jackson. And so I think there's just a lot of ways that, that you can do it. And I think you want to be idealistic, like you're talking about with the stats, with, you know, how much you set quick and, or Bic and, 
you know, playing the numbers game and trying to make sure everybody's hitting pretty well. So you have a lot of balance, like for sure you want to do that. And then you have to adapt as matches go. Um, and as, you know, as the, the competition kind of comes into, into play also, who do you trust? Like yeah. I'm a setter, I'm going to trust somebody I'm, I'm setting more so than just to try to get like 30% of the time to get this ball. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree wholeheartedly, but, uh, sorry, but going back to your freshman year, I didn't want to go off tangent, but that like really sets the tone for who you are, <laughs> but, um, going back to your freshman year, you got the gun, you got Rooney, who's, geez, he was a monster. Your guys is your freshman year after playing outside for a majority of your preseason, did you feel at all ready or even qualified to run an offense on a team in which you knew you had a real shot at winning a national championship? Or I never thought care? about it. Yeah, I was going to say, did you even care? <laughs> I thought I was good enough, and I thought that I could help the team win. I never felt like I didn't belong. I never felt like uh, – um, yeah, that I had some type of role or there was any type of expectations. It was just, uh, yeah, you show up in battle every day in practice and um, and then you, you play the matches. And you're either, as Marv would always say, you're either good enough or you aren't. And um, yeah, but I don't remember ever feeling anything. And even like looking back now, I think about all the role clarity or, or drama that can happen when you are moving people's positions. And I, I came in and kind of knocked a couple of people or out of position or moved them around. And there's a lot of moving around and Marv handled that really well. And, uh, that I, I didn't perceive, you know, much to it, nor did I feel any type of, uh, burden. I probably felt more of a burden after that freshman year. Um, and that was more of a self-induced like burden because of the expectations that or the, because of what had happened, you kind of felt like you needed to keep doing that, that I like needed to do something special um, instead of just playing the game. Yeah. Do you feel like that mentality, not that it like completely hindered or altered the rest of your career, but do you feel like that mentality of uh, like, I have to be even better had like manifested its way into your game of you have to do something different or do you think when you competed, you just competed? Uh, I think, I, yeah, I think you just compete. Um, there's a, a professor here, his name's Dr. Gilbert, and he's uh, one of the world's experts in coaching. And one of the things he talks a lot about is uh, coaches are environmental engineers and that they, one of the main responsibilities is to create a certain type of environment that then produces athletics in whatever capacity, right? And uh, so that environment is is really critical. And that's, I thought what Marv did really, really well was to create whatever environment it was, but it allowed, at least for me, it allowed me to always play free and just to play and compete and be competitive like you're talking about. And, um, and there was a leash, you know, and I remember getting like, some tough conversations with him. And I remember getting lots of coach on ones and I remember uh, like going too far with it and he would uh, pull me back in, but, um, but it never like hindered my spirit. 
or made me feel like I needed to be more or be less. I just kind of knew, okay, that was too far. Come back. Like, you know, I touched the stove. <laughs> Don't touch the stove again. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. He's, I think he's the best. I think he's the best at figuring out what is too far before you start really hurting people. Cause it was the same thing. I remember competing with Josh and he would, there would be a point where he's like, okay, it's enough. Let's just cut it because it's, you're going to start saying stuff that you got neither of you mean, especially after a loss. I remember that was his big thing. I don't, I'm guessing it was the same with you where he's like, everybody go home. We'll sleep on it. Cause if we say something today, you're going to say something you're going to regret tomorrow, you know? And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think he's great at allowing you to be you really good. And do you now as a coach, obviously you're trying to replicate that, but when you're looking at hiring people, do you look for that same spirit or are you looking for somebody, something different of they have, I need to, or strategist I need a good communicator or do you just want somebody that fits in and the rest will happen with uh hiring coaches or hire, uh recruiting players I guess both because I mean both would kind of be the same <clears throat> yeah I, um it's a good question I think there's a lot of um uh, a lot of dynamics in play with with people and in coaching you, you spend a lot of time around people because we, we work pretty hard and play a lot travel a lot and uh so for sure i think about hiring good people that i get along well with and so they're going to have to have some type of similar personalities probably to me and care you know uh in a similar way and but for sure they, they also are going to need to have some technical or some different skill sets that that i can't do um and or and hopefully that i that they do better than what I could possibly do kind of thing. Um, so uh, my, my staff here is great with the uh, personality. They're awesome, great people, hardworking people. They have fantastic skill sets with uh, some specific things with recruiting or stats or teaching or some other stuff. So um, yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Is it the same when you recruit a kid? Do you feel... Is it more important to you that they fit in with your culture or that they're a quality player? Uh, equal. <laughs> uh, they better be good. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I think it's also, a, it's a job. It's a career, right? Like I don't want, I can't just have a bunch of nice people. I think uh, like you gotta be, you gotta be competitive to some degree, and I, I don't even like competitive, um, tough, resilient maybe, and is probably a better way to, to put it, that you have a will to win and, um, and you're, you're pretty resilient because there's a lot of adversity that'll come your way in college, that's for sure. And, uh, but you've, you've got to have some skills. Like you can only, Marv would always say, like, you can only stack the deck so far, right? Like I, I can only teach you so many skills in so much amount of time. And so, in the recruiting process, we're always trying to figure out like, okay, like, uh, here's where the kid is. Here's where we think they can get to. Here's all the things that I can teach them along the way. And this is how much time it would probably take. 
you know, and, but then you've got injuries and you've got other things that are going to happen along the way. So trying to figure out like, is that player going to be at the level that I need them to be at when I need them to be at that level? And uh, can I get them there? Um, And so you're, you're constantly trying to figure out like those skills that you believe that you can teach well enough and that you believe they can do. And uh, you kind of have to assess, you know, where they are and then what type of person are they, right? Like uh, learning stuff, change is tough. And, you know, do they have a habit of doing that in the past? Are they pretty tough and resilient kids that they can, um, you know, be able to, yeah, be able to make some changes? And do they have that same vision of themselves as you have of them? I think is a big part of it. Uh, if they believe in themselves uh, to be at that level that, that you kind of, that at least you see. Um, that was, you know, pretty similar, I think, at Pepperdine with Marv. Like, it was always an understood thing that you're, you're aiming for the national team, you're aiming for, you know, Olympic aspirations. And so there's always that set vision that wasn't ever talked about, but it just kind of like was there. And because of the legacy, I think, of the people that had been in that position before you. Um, and so then you knew you were always just kind of working towards that. And with, with Marvin, that experience at Pepperdine, there wasn't a whole lot of technical training. I think he'd always joke that he could only coach blocking. And um, so you, you learn how to block. And But he would bring in other coaches to teach me how to set. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of technical instruction for setting, you know, setter tutors, maybe a couple times my freshman year with Rick, mainly to set high balls, I remember one time (laughs) and uh otherwise it it, you know it's about just playing the game and having a good I think a good mindset and uh you know knowing what needs to be done and being able to do it what have been some of the challenges that you've noticed in the in this last year with virtual recruiting and not being able to see the kids live Everything is a challenge. <laughs> Big, biggest challenges. Biggest challenges. Oh. Like, is it tough for it? So to start it, is it tough to see the skill on video? I know, or is it tougher to see the intangibles about them as people, like how resilient they are in a match or something like that? Yeah, that that is. It takes so long to sit here and watch one match when so much of the recruiting in the past, like you're, you're walking around, you're on the court, you can kind of pick up on somebody's vibe or, you know, catch what's happening on set points and kind of see the whole picture and get a better feel for, for what's happening, you know, and uh, build patterns, you know, in terms of uh, talking about this with Keegan at at Washington, you know, just uh, with the recruiting stuff, um, we're pretty connected on that with Wesley Gabriel, who's there now. And, um, just like it's helpful to build a pattern of to see a pattern of like how somebody's going to perform in critical moments and uh like are they constantly choking when it's you know set point and because it's been interesting for me to now be uh the kids that have recruited quite a bit in the past few years either in, in men's volleyball at Pepperdine or at Washington and here at Fresno State to see how they're performing like later in their careers because I'm still young and uh I haven't been doing this forever and so just to see this like track record a little bit more and and the patterns are really similar from what they did in high school when they were 15 years old to what they're doing now as All-Americans in college uh or not All-Americans but just uh, those patterns are really similar in the 
performance. Maybe they're a little taller, maybe they've got a few more skills, but pretty similar to what we saw in terms of like, hey, this is how they played at set point. This is, they were, they were making these plays, they weren't making these plays. The ball was dropping around them, the ball wasn't dropping around them. Like really, really similar patterns um, that haven't changed. So. I got a question from D Hunt, which is the same question I think four of us have. Keegan wrote the exact same question. I have the exact same question. <laughs> Jackson has the exact same question. And the question is, where did your self-belief come from? Because it's, I'm telling you, it's something that we all notice. We're like, God, he just believes in what he's doing more than anybody. I've <laughs> oh man interesting story uh or interesting question i think uh two things come to my mind is keegan and i are really close friends and uh and i remember that was he was the first person to kind of bring it to my attention that uh it can be off-putting sometimes and uh that it can be kind of probably intense or whatever and uh and i'm also not always right but i always almost believe i'm right Right. And so somebody else has to like come at me with some other and stand up for what they believe in so that we can get to the right answer. Um, and because I know that I'm not always right, but even though somebody else might perceive that I think I am right. But does that make, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, we'll get into psychology here. Um, and I remember I lost it when I was in, where was I? I was in Romania on a Champions League team in Romania. And uh, I was injured at a sports hernia. And, uh, and so I needed to get surgery, but was trying to play, play through it, which was terrible, <laughs> a terrible idea. And um, the coach was, I, th I think he's a good coach. I think he's at um, coaches uh, in Poland right now for one of the top men's programs. And, uh, but um, yeah, it just was a, a brutal experience. And I, I didn't have that belief anymore cause in part because I was in so much pain. I couldn't uh, lift my hands above my head. And so I was trying to set like from like around my shoulders, you know, like old school deep dish. And uh, that didn't go so well at that level. <laughs> and, uh, but I was in too much pain to try to just play normal. And uh, so just that, that kind of like maybe confidence or self-belief uh, got rattled there. And so I, I know it's not, um, not indestructible, that's for sure. But uh, where it came from, I don't know. But growing up, um, again, grew up a single uh, mom situation. My dad died when I was four. And, uh, and so I think I just always had to do things on my own, you know, and my mom's great. My older brother, older sister, um, everybody's nice. <laughs> um, you know, I was raised in a community of good people that cared and a um, bunch of uh, people that had me on their sports teams and took me to father son things and um, just kind of invested invested in my life uh, but for the most part it was like I watched tv on my own I did schoolwork on my own I did everything on my own and so there's a little bit of this I think independent streak of uh growing up that I had to make it on my own and uh, and so I never really relied on somebody else to do something for me like I was doing or my mom would always say I, was, I did my laundry since I was in kindergarten, right? Probably terrible, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I needed to do it. And so 
Yeah, I don't think there was any, from what I remember, it was never like a person or a time or a thing that like gave me a sense of self-assuredness um, to be one of the strengths, you know, that I have. But uh, like we do these uh, strengths finders things and that's one that always pops up at the top of the list is usually comp uh, competition and being self-assured are like my strengths. And, but those are things that you develop when you're young, you know, and uh, the, the process of life right? Who, how you grow up, things that happen in your life, like over a long period of time, what your parents do, what experiences you have on teams and in school and what your friends say, like, these are all experiences that make up who you are, you know, later on in life. And I don't think I can just turn it on or turn it off, you know? And um, so I don't know if that answers that question, but no, it happened does. a long time ago. No, it does. And so then how did you get it back after Romania? Because it would be tough to have something you've had in you intrinsically for your whole life you're i think you're 27 when you were you left romania probably something like that yeah. yeah so then that hits you and then how do you bounce back uh yeah i had to get surgery so <laughs> that was about a year of uh doing surgery and uh like rehab stuff and it lost the love of the game. I didn't care to play anymore. I hated going to practice every day when I was in Romania in part because of the pain, the, all that stuff, but it was, it was miserable. And, um, so it's for sure, like what I was doing really changed, but yet I found so much passion and interest in a lot of other stuff. Um, and so I think that that interest started to kind of go some other places and that could kind of continue to find myself and see myself in some other places and doing some other things. And so I think, you know, that's around this time when I decided to stop playing, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's, there tends to be kind of like, maybe this is a little old school, but about like a 10 year window where you're probably pretty healthy and pretty good. Um, and I was on the outside of that, that window and I needed at that surgery, I needed, I still have torn labrum in my shoulders and a bunch of other surgeries. And, uh, at the time, I only thought of volleyball. The only reason to play volleyball was to play in the Olympics. That was it. And I didn't care to play professionally um, beyond that. You know, playing professionally was only a means to be able to play on the Olympic team. And so I was on the national team for seven years and was, was close twice. But uh, uh, then at the end, didn't really uh, had this bad experience in Romania, super banged up, and just felt like... Um, I didn't have the interest to go for another four years and nor the, the passion, the drive, the will, the love of the game that is required. Um, I didn't have it anymore. And, and so, um, got away for a while and switched into, I actually did sports administration stuff and, um, just started to kind of get back to who I was and believe in what I did, uh, in that area. And I think that for me, sports have always been, um, kind of going back to where I started was about mentoring and was about relationships and that there's always been this tremendous um, uh, gratitude for the people that invested in my life because I know my life could have gone really differently being uh, in the situation I was growing up and um, I feel like I turned out okay and it was in large part because of my mom but also you know these men and um, coaches and people that really invested in, in my life and, and took me to practices and had me doing things that they didn't have to do, you know? And, and so there's always been this, um, 
larger driving force, vision, purpose uh, that goes beyond the X's and O's of, of the sport and is about um, mentoring, investing in people's lives, helping people have you know, better experiences through sport and kind of developing people has become or was always you know, a primary factor for me. And I didn't have that playing professionally as well. And, and so kind of getting out of that, then all of a sudden, I again found that that passion, that drive that um, was way more motivating and fun and interesting and uh, kind of like uh, just way more me, I guess you could say, and uh, align more with like who I am and my, my values, my interests. And so I was able to transition into academic support and then into coaching and kind of and still coaching now. That answers the question very, very thoroughly. <laughs> very well, sir. Good job. <laughs> I, I really, I think anybody that's come on this podcast or anybody that I've talked to about Tino, for example, I just saw all the waves and I said, uh, we're going to have Winder on Tuesday. And they're like, you got to ask him this question. <laughs> Everybody had the exact same question. Nobody ever asked me. Why don't they just ask me in person? I got you. <laughs> You got you're the you're the messenger, huh? I guess so. Don't shoot no. the messenger. But I mean, you guys know it. It's just it's how you grow up, right? It's uh, it's the things that you go through growing up, and and so I'm curious to see how things go over the next ten years. But uh, with so much, with the pandemic has changed as to what impact that makes on people's character and uh, values and whatnot. You know, yeah, down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's telling especially post vaccination what everybody was willing to do to get it yeah all of a sudden everybody's yeah. lying cheating stealing to get in line get something done and yeah i mean that tells a lot about a person right there yeah what yeah. are you willing to do yeah i think the other thing that i, th I think about and i um forget what i was i was reading but they were talking about it with uh just lacking a lot of the experiences of today is uh, that like I was allowed to fail. I was allowed to um, mess up. I messed up a lot in high school. I, I really only learned from experiences and I, I didn't, I wasn't great at uh, somebody telling me to do something and doing it. <laughs> Not so good. And uh, which is funny because you, now you, as a coach, you're probably, I drive, drives me, drives me a little crazy when I say, Hey, you know, set like this. And then they don't do it. And you're like, come on. And, um, but I was allowed to have those experiences and mistakes, uh, with Marv at Pepperdine, like, and he would correct, you know, after the fact, um, and even growing up or in my family with my mom, like for sure, I, I made mistakes along the way. And, uh, I definitely learned by experiences more so than by, uh, words of wisdom or reading uh, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember I explored. Yeah, I mean, Courtney Thompson, I asked her the same, a similar question of when you became the franchise setter, right? Her, oh, I think it was her sophomore year. I said, uh, how much leeway did Jim give you? You know, because you, when you give a kid the keys of the kingdom, then it's like, all right, it's their squad. Now what do I do? Kind of. And she yeah. said, he never killed me in practice. And I would go over the line a couple times. But as soon as we went to his office, he would just crush me. 
you know, because he, but, you know, she said it was never because he disliked me or anything like that. She just, I knew it was important. And for our team, it was really important. Was Marv the same or did he do it in practice too? Uh, I think Marv's really different from Jim <laughs> and, uh, and how they communicate and, um, which everybody communicates in the way that works for them and, and has the, they're able to be effective in some really different ways. And Marv's ways were very much deliberate with maybe one, one line, two lines, something like that. And, uh, just very, um, appropriately timed questions. So he would do it more in the moment, um, and just, uh, being able to recognize the, the situations, the behaviors, you know, that were happening and to, and to ask a question, you know, like I remember, I'll never forget one time. Um, I think I was cussing out one of my teammates for probably not going for a ball or something. And, uh, uh, and he came up and just in the middle of practice and just kind of like quickly asked, Hey, what if everybody was just like you right now on our team, what kind of team would we have? And at that point in time, I, I felt completely guilty because I felt terrible because I was like, well, we'd be a bunch of jerks. Like we'd be terrible. Yeah, and, okay. uh, you know, and, and then I think he probably followed up with like something about, you know, you, you're demanding more of others than you are of, of yourself. And so he just had a, a great way to um, apply those principles or questions uh, in the moment of those behaviors showing up that were not so good. Um, and so we talk every once in a while afterwards, you know, I, I met with him every week the whole time I was in college and um, I still probably talk to him every week. And yeah, and so there's some stories and some things that happen there, but for sure it's, it's uh, being able to address it early and often and right in the middle of those things when they happen was his way. And uh, that was a little bit more effective for me um, versus after the fact. How are you as a communicator with your staff and your athletes? Are you direct and to the point immediately or do you let it sit for a little bit? You'd probably have to ask them. I don't know. I think, uh, I think I'm figuring it out. You know, it's, uh, it's different as an assistant coach versus the head coach, I would say. Um, and in the, into the roles that I had at, at different times, um, probably as an assistant coach, I was a little bit more like after the fact, um, cause you don't want to like stop practice or, uh, mess somebody up in the, in the middle of the game. And, um, and then as a head coach, probably, uh, it's probably both, but I would try to be more in the moment and uh, certainly in matches and things like that. It, it happens a little bit more often because the stress is a little higher. Um, but yeah, in, in practice, trying to get the stress level up a little higher, make it a little tougher in practices, you know, and um, so you can have more of these experiences that show up that aren't so good that you can address. That makes sense. What are you focused on right now as far as getting better as a coach? Is there a certain area of the program that you're putting your attention towards or is it something like communication and working with your athletes or yeah, what are you focused on right now? Other than recruiting in June. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm gone for the first 40 days of June. Yeah. Um, man, a lot, a lot right now. I think uh, we're at a, place of, as a program I've been here three years now that we're really excited about what we're doing where we're going uh it's been the three best you know years in our in this program's history and uh in terms of like you know 
winning and um, probably academically as well as something that we measure things at um, culturally. I think the kids are doing okay. And um, yeah. And so I don't know, I think uh, I'm reading the book legacy right now. If you've read that book, um, but it's been pretty interesting um, with the all blacks and kind of that, that culture. And, and so that's probably where investing a little bit more time right now is into the leadership of uh, sustaining, you know, being good over time is something that we're aiming for trying to be and uh, continuing to move the program higher. I think the vision that I have is, is higher than our current reality. Um, and so we, you know, think about those things individually with players as well as, you know, as a team. So I, I know where we are and I know where we want to go and we're not currently where we want to go. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, and I think one of the ways for us <clears throat> to be a little bit better is if we can develop uh, leaders a little bit better. And uh, this is the first, this will be the first year we have any type of uh, like returners. Just, uh, it's been a very, um, the way the roster was when I got here was um, kind of unique and we've had to reshape things a little bit more. And so this will be the first season then you have the pandemic. So um, that we have a few returners here and they kind of know, know their way around a little bit more. And so we're, I'm trying to be better there with leading them, helping them lead better um, as opposed to me just doing it. I, I think I've felt in the past that I was the head coach and the team captain. And I don't think that was great. And, uh, and so trying to work to <clears throat> inspire, but also just to educate, I would say educate and empower to try to give them those experiences and to encourage them to fail and to try and, to give them the, um, those opportunities, you know, that's the way I learned more so than Marv telling me how to lead. It was just go and try to lead. And then I'll tell you when you mess it up. And, uh, and so, um, but I think along the way, like you feel more confidence once, if you know a little bit more, right. And so trying to prep them on the front end, uh, and give them some tools and equipment to go and try and do something about it. And when they do perceive issues or opportunities to lead, um, so that's one element. You know, uh, recruiting stuff is huge these days and trying to hire uh, a new, another position. So I don't know, there's a lot of stuff always. <laughs> trying to help develop the community here too in terms of volleyball, just uh, at the youth level. So trying to, you know, build a, I think typically good college programs, you've got good uh, players, you know, uh, in the community around you. And so we're, I think, aware of that and always trying to do, different things through camps, clinics, or whatever we can to um, continue to invest in the, the young people in our community. Any word on when the club's going to actually start? When it, when it starts, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll go when it goes. Is it, uh, Keegan asked, uh, are there any situations at your time as an assistant at Washington that you now look back on differently as a head coach? <laughs> yeah Keegan's been uh I listened to some of his his podcasts or things he'll do and he, he's great about telling the telling the whole story <laughs> for better or worse uh yeah what is it uh, how I look back on things differently is that kind of the question no are there the, any situations that occurred that I don't let's see any situations from his time at as an assistant at Washington that you now look back on differently as a head coach? I think uh, maybe um, 
well yeah for sure i, I don't yeah, there's maybe maybe i'll share one but uh <clears throat> maybe in general i think as an assistant coach at the time i thought i was pretty good and uh and as a head coach i realized i wasn't that good like as an assistant coach because <laughs> i think you just you know what you know and you don't know what it's like as a head coach until you are a head coach. Yeah. And I was the beach head coach there and that was fun and it was great. And it was uh, a tiny sliver of what Keegan feels as the head coach of the indoor program. Cause that program is just so much bigger. And even in coming here, the program is so much bigger than what the beach volleyball program was at the time at the university of Washington. And, uh, and so just the, the stresses of it, the, pressures the alumni the the i don't know the press whatever you know there's just so much more that goes into it the, re, the level of responsibility changes based upon the level of commitment from the players you know it's it's easy to coach kids that don't care you know I'm not saying this was like this there but just like the lower the levels you coach there's probably a little less pressure coming from the players to be good like but all of a sudden you know you're at some higher levels and the players are, are demanding that that they be at the level they believe they can be at. And so you feel a sense of responsibility uh, to deliver, right? That I can come here and I say to Jackson, like, hey, I, I think I can make you into an All-American setter. I better work, you know, my tail off to make sure that that happens for you and, yeah. and go about it in every way possible. And so once, you know, you're a head coach, you're starting to make those promises and then you have to deliver on them. And, and so there's definitely more of a responsibility and there's so many more things that go into it. You know, it's one thing it's like to, to do some of the stuff like that, like, yeah, you got to have gym time and you got to have a practice time. But then as the head coach, you have to figure out how to get the practice time. You have to figure out how to get the balls. You have to sign the contracts to get the balls. You have to figure out who's going to set up the nets so that you can do that practice, right? There's just like so much more that goes into it. And so many more opportunities for things to go wrong and you're the one that has to figure it out as an assistant coach you just say oh here are balls here's the net yeah i got it no problem <laughs> and uh you know but there's there's all this back-end stuff that you don't know so i think in general i've just learned a ton about what i didn't know at yeah. that point in time and uh but i think that's to his credit like he was great about um, I think great head coaches do this. Marv did this the same way is you take on as much as you can and you allow your assistant coaches to, to do the things that they can do really, really well. Maybe it's recruiting, you know, and so somebody can really invest a ton of time into recruiting and that's awesome. Maybe one of the assistants just does a ton of coaching and they, they love it and they just crank on the coaching stuff. They don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And so he was great about doing that. And uh, so it allowed me at that time to coach and recruit and uh, spend a ton of time in there. And I didn't have to worry about fundraising or uh, some of the other head coaching responsibilities. So um, situations, you know, who Chrissy Jones is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Great, great player. And uh, <clears throat> I remember one time she was uh, uh, struggling. Keegan was getting, af getting after her a little bit and uh <laughs> trying to motivate her she was she played a lot of different positions right she played middle played left side played right side uh, she probably wanted to be a setter and a libro too she's probably good enough to do it <laughs> which is why she's a great avp pro now but um i just remember that situation like i had given chrissy some advice to that i i 
did uh, and I learned as it went was that I think as an athlete, you have to, um, uh, yeah, you have to know what is going to help you and what's not going to help you. And you have to, because ultimately everybody's going to the same direction, right? Like I want you to be the best setter you can be and play at this certain level. I have one perspective as your coach and you probably have another perspective as a, as a player, hopefully they're in line. I think when they're in line, that's awesome. And uh, of what you need to do to get to that level as a player. And so when, what happens when things are not in line, you're not playing at that level. Right. And so then everybody's kind of sharing their opinion. You've got your opinion from your mom, your dad, your teammates, you know, and who do you listen to? Ultimately you've got to listen to yourself and you've got to know what you need to do to be successful. And so there's going to be things coming in. And, and as a player, I think as an elite player, especially with social media and everything these days too, like you have to have a filter to kind of like know what's helpful and know what's not helpful. And so at times, yeah, you got to turn out your head coach a little bit and just go and play because it's not, it's clearly, you know, it's not helpful and it's hindering you. And so I'm sorry, but yeah, you got to turn it off. Just go out there and, and play the game, you know? And uh, yeah. what I should have done is uh, talked about that with Keegan on the front end to say, Hey, like I'm saying this to her because she's got to go out there and play. And we talked about it on the back end and which was a little dicey. And, uh, but we worked, worked through it. And cause I think everybody's going in the same direction, right? Like we're all, we wanted Chrissy to play at her level. And uh, cause we knew she's an all American player. And I remember had, she had one game that was really rough and um, um, yeah. And so and Keegan was trying to address it in, in one way and it wasn't helping her. And, uh, and so I think in, in hindsight, you know, uh, as a, as a head coach, I would have wished I had uh, talked with Keegan ahead of time to say, Hey, I'm going to tell her this, and this is what I believe. And, uh, or you can tell her it and, you know, uh, make some adjustments that way. Um, as opposed to the back end. I have, we, I had Mary wise on here. I say I, cause Jackson hop on that call. And a big thing that and you've talked about this as well as experience and creating perspective for yourself based on those experiences over time. Do you feel that having kids and seeing them grow up has also helped you as a coach in developing, um, I guess, a more garnered perspective on communicating to the kids and helping them more as a teacher or more as, I guess, even as a paternal figure of like, hey, I have to be a little bit more patient because they're just kids at the end of the day. Um, I don't know. Honestly, maybe my kids are just so young, but uh, I think about it mostly from a motor learning standpoint is what I see with my kids right now because they're just, uh, they're six, four, two, and one. And, uh, and so it's mostly about them uh, figuring out how to move and uh, be athletes kind of stuff. And so I, I haven't thought about it too much in terms of like the, um, that mentoring side, I guess. For me, that, that's always been there. You know, that's kind of the initial intent before I even had kids. That was what I was most passionate about and, and interested in. Um, and so, yeah, with my, with my little kids, that's probably been a change for me also just now, you know, being in this role and uh, having more kids is, it's a lot to be a dad or a mom and a coach, like it's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, just kind of seeing the, the development at a young age uh, firsthand 
in every way has been really interesting and to see how people learn and uh, good ways to teach um, in order to get them to try something different and to see that how different kids explore or don't explore, um, you know, again, even based upon their environment, you know, at this, even at this age, like that's, what's really interesting. Like you talk about, you know, the self-assuredness that I have or whatever, like it, it starts at a young age and seeing my kids versus other kids, um, whether they're exploring or not exploring, they're being creative, they're not being creative, they're afraid to do things, um, you know, all these other like emotions and stuff are developing when they're three, four, five years old. And, uh, and so that the environment that the parents put them in or the coaches on these, they're all starting on these little sport teams and stuff like that. And uh, it just makes a, makes a pretty big difference. The word on the street is Hudson's already committed to Pepperdine. Can you confirm? <laughs> I don't know what sport, but he's, uh, he's actually probably a bigger Huskies fan. <laughs> so, but they don't have men's volleyball. So we'll see. We'll see. Anything can happen. Yeah. No, he, yeah. It's pretty fun though. It's fun to be a dad. It's fun to, uh, it was a lifelong dream of mine more so than playing in the Olympics or anything else was to be a dad. And, uh, and so for me, it's, it's been really fun to, to get to do that. And uh, coaching and being a head coach has been an incredible experience, you know, and uh, it's uh, very much like my personality vibes really well with the changing environments and different dynamics of uh, being a head coach where you've got to manage budgets and personnel and players and recruiting and there's more, more to it. And I, I like that kind of how the job changes every single day. And uh, it's definitely not a normal nine to five, do one thing all the time kind of role. Uh, you wear a lot of different hats and, but it makes things really dynamic, which I think is a really cool part about uh, coaching in general as a profession. For sure. Well, Winder, I, I think we're good here. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I answered all your questions. Yeah, with uh, specificity and detail. Yeah. No, thank, thank you very much for coming on because uh, I love picking your brain, like always. That's why I always came into the office and would talk to you for hours on end. But you've always been candid, and I've always really appreciated that. And that's for sure. Yeah, you bet. No, it's fun to – always good to talk. I don't, <laughs> I don't get to talk about volleyball or my – Nobody asked me, asked me these questions on the daily, you know, <laughs> going down memory lane. I like it. But no, I, I, I'm grateful that you guys do this. It's been fun to listen to some other people and hear some different perspectives and stories. And um, I think, as you know, like so much of culture is passed through, through stories. And I think that volleyball has got a pretty special culture, especially in the United States. Like when I talk to administrators or people about men's volleyball specifically, um, it's just so unique that we could be one of the best teams in the world. And yet there's like 10% of what all these other countries have in terms of people playing the game. Yeah. So just thinking about the legacy that has passed, you know, from men's volleyball and I'm, I'm glad to see it coming together more and more every year with women's, the women's game. And uh, I, I think that the, the stories that are told, you know, through podcasts uh, as they start to kind of transfer into more communities, the better. And because uh, that's kind of talking about the legacy piece and these different opportunities just to see different perspectives. And so 
I'm glad you guys are doing this and getting a bunch of people on here. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks, Winter. Yeah, nice job.